Uh, I'm going to call the meeting to order. I sincerely apologize for the lateness of your chair. Could we please have the roll call? Trustee Lawrence? Here. Trustee DeVries? Here. Here. Trustee Hernandez? Not here yet. Uh, Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charlotte? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee Lujanani? Present. Trustee Thompson? Here. Trustee Zorthian? Here. We have a quorum. Thank you very much. Um, do we have any public comment to start our meeting? None received. Thank you very much. Um, if, if the board doesn't mind, I would like to um, go to action to agenda item B, which is calling the action because we have people here and the other presentation may be a little bit longer and we can take care of that business first. So uh, could I get a motion for uh, contract approval for M AMF Media Group? I'll move. Second. Thank you. We have questions, discussions? The administration want to make any comment? Okay. Um, we discussed, yes. So did you receive, board members, your clarification? Okay. Um, I had asked. I had asked a couple of questions that, um, when this was first on our agenda, and I um, did receive the information and answer my question. So thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Okay, then all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Jim, are you opposed? Your aye. aye. Okay. Thank no, you. Aye. Thank it's you. Okay. Then let's move to uh, action item number two, and this is the contract approval was. Press Ganey Associates. Associates, excuse me. Um, could I have a motion for approval? I'll move. Thank you. I'll move. You can second. Thank you, Jim. Um, okay. Questions? I just wanted to know if there were any additional languages that we were going to include in the. Um, I know we do English and Spanish for the um, H caps, right? Is the Press Ganey doing? Is that the second part of that? Oh, yeah. Other than the employee engagement, uh, this um, I'll remind you, uh, this uh, particular contract is not a uh, survey. This is um, we talked about doing a retreat where we're now uh, engaging oh. with Ruskini to do the um, the focus, the focus work. Groups. Yeah, with yeah, the yeah. with the tier three uh, managers and employees. I get that. So, yeah, yeah. So Which that's ones what are the, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, is the other one that she she's referring to was that. Was that the AMF? No, no, no. no, She's, no, no so our, our standing contract with Press Gain is just to do the engagement survey. Okay. Uh, this is, yeah, it's different. Uh, and, and they do, I'm sorry, so they do a lot of different things. Uh, the employee engagement survey, they do patient uh, satisfaction surveys. This is the focus work beyond that. So what uh, Trustee Banerjee was talking about was uh, the different ways in which we do the patient satisfaction survey. But this uh, particular uh, contract is not related it's not to that. It's not related to that. Yeah. Okay, yes. thank you. Um, board members, any any questions? Any concerns? Okay, I call the question. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you. It passes. Uh, then I will move. Um, thank you, those of you who are representing these um, contractors. Uh, thank you very much for your attendance. Um, I'm going to move to board agenda item A and the operational plan presentation and it looks to me like our esteemed executive and CMO or COO 
so there are a couple of us on, on deck. I'm going to, um, because we've been, this has been a busy week, <coughs> you guys might know, uh, for, for all of us. Uh, some of us were already together y- yesterday, and I feel like I was with somebody, oh, I was, I was like, I was with somebody on Monday too, so uh, we've seen each other every day this every week. Every day. Uh, we should do this more. <laughs> uh, so, so we came off of our retreat on uh, uh, last, our executive retreat last Thursday and Friday, uh, and so we had prepared an update, uh, as we had mentioned in the board retreat on uh, sort of the, the next rung of the strategic plan, and that's focused on this year's operational plan. So a couple of, we have a couple of leaders in the room, and then uh, obviously a few at the table here who will uh, support me in sharing with uh, you all the, um, uh, the operational plans for this year as we have produced them. Uh, I will concede that there's still a little bit of uh, polishing work that we're, we're doing on this uh, in the, in the uh, uh, interest of time, uh, we wanted to keep it moving, uh, but, but we have substantive movement enough to share with you where we are, and all of this is, is leaning uh, or leading towards, as we mentioned in the retreat, uh, an uh, action item in the business meeting in November where we'll uh, seek your support and endorsement of the full strategic plan. And uh, for a reminder and for um, just awareness for the other trustees, uh, our new trustees, Trustee uh, Thompson and, and Charlin, um, we presented to the full board in June, I believe it was, June or July, um, the full strategic plan. So it's a three-year plan. Uh, we have that document. We can share it with you and be happy to walk you through it. And in subsequent meetings, we've been going through various aspects of it in a little more detail, including at the uh, retreat we spent uh, part of the first day of the retreat going into the HR part of the support services part of the plan and really talking about how um, that part of the organization was restructuring and the types of focuses that they were having to advance some of the work that we're doing in the organization. So this is yet another iteration of that. um, That's a deeper dive in all of 17. Uh, And then, as I said, at the end of the month, we'll we'll come and ask for an endorsement or adoption of the the full plan uh, from the board. Okay. All right, so um, because last night was what it was, uh, I figured, you know, we're all not a little short of levity or, or need for levity. So I was about 2 o'clock this morning coming off of my, my paralysis, and I was like, I need to find something. So I was looking for comic strips to try, try to uh, uh, boost my spirits, and I found this one, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, uh, an always uh, reliable Dilbert is... Um, <laughs> Uh, came to mind when I was thinking, well, we're talking about the strategic plan, so how do I, how do I freeze this? And uh, really uh, why this came up was, um, some of you may recall, when we did the strategic plan, we actually did, we, we used an approach called environmental scenario planning. And you all remember this. Um, after we did all of our background data analysis, we worked with our consultants, came up with nine different scenarios of what might happen, and it was federal, at the federal level, at the state level, and at the local level, and said, how might this impact our mission and our vision as an organization? Is that before or after sure. Trump? This, this, was, this was, what, in March of last uh-huh. year or February of, of this year? And we think about it, but one of the scenarios, so we knew at that point with, who, the, uh, who the nominees were or who the likely candidates were, and one of the considerations was, you know, how valid is our mission and our vision going forward if there was a, 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 a change of um, um, party leadership in, in Washington uh, at the, in the executive branch or in, in the other branches. And um, 
we sort of thought about it as it relates to the Affordable Care Act and prognosticated about, you know, how, how deeply ingrained we were and how far out of the uh, depot, if you will, uh, had the train uh, left and the likelihood that any of this would be dismantled. And I think, uh, if I recall correctly, the conclusion we reached was uh, there certainly is a prospect that some of the elements of the ACA could, you know, or the, the totality of it could get overturned, but some of the principles and the directions around um, um, reducing the cost of care, bending the cost curve, improving uh, uh, quality and things like that were going to be uh, mainstays of any sort of direction. It, you know, some of the approaches could certainly change with respect to whether it's still the ACA and Medi-Cal expansion or if it ends up being blocked. Uh, grants or uh, uh, insurance um, um, selling across state lines, all these sorts of things that are uh, still geared at improving access and improving affordability of insurance, uh, but maybe with likely or different uh, likelihoods of success, uh, depending on who's who's actually participating. So anyway, all of that was to say that we we concluded um, through all the different scenarios, but this was one of them. Uh, I guess I should have said, so I don't know if this is actually, if this was a hallucination and we don't know whether or not this is actually going to pan out, uh, we, it will remain to be seen. Uh, but we did conclude uh, all the um, uh, leaders and stakeholders in the organization, clinical and administrative around the table, that um, as best we could discern, our vision and our mission as an organization were still germane and still would be germane. So uh, we walked away with a sort of renewed uh, sense that uh, caring, healing, teaching, serving all was appropriate for our environment and our, our vision of still being a world-class uh, patient and family-centered system of care that promotes wellness, eliminates disparities, and optimizes health for our communities is certainly something that would continue to be necessary and uh, would continue to be a role that we play or, or would need to play in and, and we're poised to play. What did change, however, was the strategic direction. Um, and uh, in a significant way, we felt that um, uh, we could not um, uh, foreseeably rely on fee-for-service uh, payments as our principal way of actually covering the cost of the care that we provide for the organization as a viable way to continue to sustain the direction that we were uh, going to move in or needed to move in in order to cover the people who were coming to us for care. And so as a result, our uh, um, decision was that strategically we should move towards being a population health manager, understand that risk and risk on the provider side of the world was uh, a necessary uh, way to actually uh, be accountable for um, uh, uh, the li uh, lives that we cover and, and care for in, in a different way. And, and we needed as an organization to figure out how to uh, be sophisticated and, and um, um, uh, sustain in such an environment. So the strategic direction was uh, the new part of this. It said that in three to five years we'll transition to a population health management organization. A lot of that timeline uh, admittedly principled on the 1115 waiver that we currently have and um, we'll see if anything happens to that but usually uh, I think with, with changes in um, administration these things don't actually uh, get upended in the middle of it, but you know we don't know. Uh, it is it is a baked in commitment for the next five years, or the next four years, I should say. We're in year two now. Okay. <clears throat> so locally, what does that look like for AHS? So just a couple of like hallmarks of a current state, and then the desired state. Um, the current state, you know, business units, or uh, uh, at the time, uh, we're still heavily siloed by sites. You know, we're Highland, John George, Fairmont, not the three acutes together. Our primary, our, our ambulatory sites, a little bit more uh, uh, sort of coordinated across the system of care. Our 
uh, post-acute sites a little less, and just integration throughout and coordination uh, uh, lacking or wanting in terms of uh, our ability to, to, to enhance what we're doing. Certainly IT infrastructure um, um, uh, continues to present challenges for us, but that was a, a, as a hallmark of our current state at the time as well. Uh, and uh, episodic uh, fee-for-service-based care, um, which um, admittedly we got better at the, the revenue side of that in a way that was uh, pretty material and significant uh, in the last year and will help us in the uh, coming years, not just while we're still one foot in that world or a foot and a half in that world, but as we then use that experience and that knowledge to do better contracting when we move towards a more risk-based uh, contracting model. So the two uh, big uh, vehicles or, or, or uh, riders, if you will, to get us to our desired state was the strategic plan and the strategy uh, that we're uh, um, uh, articulating here and the 1115 waiver, uh, which is in so many ways uh, um, consistent with the direction that, that we are driving in. And so that's the, that's the uh, Medi-Cal 2020 that's uh, pushing towards pay for performance, improved quality, improved outcomes, uh, improved health, overall health, as well as then uh, actually requiring that uh, safety net organizations move towards a more uh, risk-based uh, alternate payment model. So, so quite well aligned with what we, what we thought was right for this organization. Um, and so then some, those are some of the hallmarks of the, the desired state, uh, as I've sort of articulated. Uh, so key strategies were uh, we needed to get fund, uh, foundational competencies and infrastructures in a new way to deliver care, so a new care delivery model, as well as a new financing model. Because as we got towards more risk-based payment models, um, it, it, wasn't it do doesn't just affect how we're going to get paid, but it means that we have to be very mindful of uh, what are called divisions of financial responsibility. Dofers and contracts say, you do this, this is what we pay you for, we pay somebody else to do another thing. Uh, you may be responsible for coordinating all that stuff, but you, you, you don't necessarily do all this stuff and you're not necessarily required or, or uh, um, uh, it's not necessarily that they want you to do all that stuff. So we want to make sure that reconciles with our mission um, to serve all and make sure that even when we're not providing that care, we're helping people to get those engagements and uh, uh, get their care needs met. Uh, developing viable financial contracts that support population health, so continuing in that direction, and strengthening those partnerships with area healthcare and also non-healthcare providers that would help us to move towards a much more integrated and uh, supportive environment for the uh, population we serve. Uh, and then coordinating internally as a system more integrating across our various continuums of care. So this is what the model looked like sort of pictorially. Uh, we decided that uh, we would create um, what we call strategic business units, which is sort of like many businesses. Apologize that the color doesn't come through well here. Uh, but it's six business units, and you'll, we'll go through them in detail as we move forward here. Uh, but uh, the first one was sort of the organizing entity. It's a population health management group, which is going to help us with uh, looking at care management, looking at care design, looking at uh, the sort of intersection between how we um, design our care and how we're financed for our care, uh, looking at health equity as a hallmark and a foundational element of what we are concerned about as an organization and what's uh, core to our mission as an organization and the like. Uh, provided delivery and Alameda Health Partners, Alameda Health Partners being the big part of our uh, physician delivery enterprise and a growing part of our physician delivery enterprise, whether they are employed, contracted, or otherwise. Um, uh, and then the rest of the provided delivery system, recognizing that we have a huge cadre and a growing need for uh, non-physician uh, uh, providers such as um, uh, uh, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, um, uh, nurse anesthetists, and other um, 
uh, what we call advanced practice providers or what was or known as physician extenders, if you will, to actually complement the care that we are providing in the organization. The third, or the next three being kind of the core business units, um, um, but in a, uh, a more strategic alignment. Ambulatory care, all of our uh, wellness centers and some of our partnerships outside of the wellness centers, uh, diagnostic imaging centers and, uh, and the like. Uh, the acute side of the world, so our three acute facilities being organized uh, in a more uh, coordinated fashion, and post-acute. And then finally on the delivery side, behavioral health, which crosses all of those continuums. And then wrapping around all of that was a super support services, so all of the back office functions, whether it's finance, IT, HR, quality, uh, several others that are going to enable those, those specific business units to deliver on the... Uh, on the vision that, that we have for them in the organization. So uh, the first thing that we did after sharing this with you and getting tacit approval back in June or July uh, was we started the work at redesigning the organization structure to reflect these, uh, this new structure and these new business units. Uh, and so a couple of uh, key things that we did was we created uh, the different um, sort of leadership entities for the business units and in some cases created entirely new uh, aligned divisions. So uh, the big one here is population health, which you see sort of smack dab in the middle, sort of just below my name. Uh, and there's a new position that we have now and we're currently recruiting for. It's a chief administrative officer for population health. Uh, and you can see some of the things that are under that, uh, that division. So there's the newly uh, um, branded public affairs and community engagement. Uh, or PACE, uh, we're calling it, health equity. Uh, so our functions that are going to be looking at uh, uh, social determinants of health uh, and uh, health disparities and how we purposefully address those. Uh, care management, as I mentioned earlier, network development uh, in terms of working with uh, the plans, our <coughs> finance team and otherwise to look at what we uh, go at risk for and how do we uh, perform uh, under those contracts. Uh, transfer center, which you've heard a lot about in the development of that and certainly a big part of it is the uh, Medi-Cal uh, uh, 1115 wavering the various uh, components of that. So Prime, uh, GPP, whole person care, um, and the dental transformation initiative. Are, are all these new, or, or did you move from one place to another? Is public affairs, for example, or... It's, mar it it's, it's marketing, communication, and government and community relations. Yeah, these so are... So none of this is new, except maybe the waiver, but it used to be, if, you know, a long time ago, or the last waiver, it was DISRIP. So we had, you know, a, a sort of a core group of people working on the last waiver, and those are the folks who are working on this waiver, complemented a little bit differently for the different programs. Um, and yeah, the rest of the things were things that were in different parts of the organization, but because of this new structure, um, um, thought to be more, more, um, more appropriately aligned under this new division. So. Well, could you show when, when you're while you're talking? Could you show what has been added in in the system? Yes. And because um, I will assume everything else was shifted around to meet to meet the structure to meet your needs. Yes. Uh, so, but it would be interesting to know which which departments or new people or whatever has functions. been added. Absolutely. So let me do that. So most of it is at its core a, a, a reorganization or reorganizing of various functions to fit within the new model and to advance the strategic plan. Um, not new but still in works uh, is Alameda Health Partners. So you'll see coming from the Board of Trustees to the, you know, I guess the left, um, uh, the board of directors then uh, that's appointed by this board and then 
uh, Dr. Pernia, who uh, presented as a part of the plan, is the interim uh, uh, physician leader for Alameda Health Partners. So, so that's there. Um, if you look under the chief medical officer, Dr. Jamaluddin, you'll see a new, um, a new role. Um, we call it out, uh, ambulatory care services, I think is what we have there. So that, that, that organization has a new um, uh, chief administrative officer. So you'll recall in the past year, uh, we had sort of leadership of ambulatory by committee. Uh, mm -hmm. So we had uh, Guy Kisgard, who uh, is, is now leaving as sort of the lead, and then uh, the CAOs at each site were splitting kind of uh, administrative oversight for our various clinics. Um, um, there was always a plan. Initially, there was a plan when I came on board to put two physician leaders uh, in the, uh, those roles, and we were going to have a, um, a medical director for primary care and a medical director for all of uh, um, specialty care. Uh, we decided to consolidate those and only create one new role, and that was going to be the CEO for all of ambulatory care services, and uh, we are recruiting for that role, and that role will be a physician. So it will be a physician administrative leader, and under that physician administrative leader will be a vice president role. That is not a new role. It's a role that's been vacant for a while uh, since the person left, I think, about two years ago. So, uh, so that's there. Everything else is largely... And the physician will be part-time practice? Uh, the physician will also practice, yeah. It'll be a light uh, part of their practice, not like 50% because the administrative component is pretty uh, significant, but uh, probably maintaining one clinic a week or something like that where they're uh, staying kind of tied to the ground and also leading uh, uh, some of the efforts from different vantage points. Um, that's sort of a principle that we're espousing with all of our physician leadership roles. We would like Bricky Records to continue to have some clinical activity in the organization. So. So there's that. Uh, I don't think anything else is new on there. You know what? I'm going to look at mine because this is a little blurry to see. Uh, so, uh, so there's nothing new under that, uh, nothing else new under that area, I don't believe. No. Uh, under finance, um, nothing new. Right, David? Anything I'm missing? Um, well, yeah, so, so not new since we approved the plan, uh, but Ishwari was new. She started in March, and effectively, though, she replaced Carly Denise, so uh, not entirely new, but a different role uh, uh, in the organization. Uh, under this chief operating officer, uh, the new there are two new roles. Uh, one is uh, for system transformation, so that's the lean um, leadership role uh, that we're putting in place for the organization, and we'll actually have oversight, I believe, of both uh, Lean and our project management office. Um, it's sort of the third in the middle. It's after post-acute, if you're looking under the COO, you see system transformation. There's a, there's a VP for that role uh, that we're recruiting for, and that'll be the person for leading our Lean effort uh, and the, sort of the reinvigorating of that. Uh, and then if you look at the very last one on that column, uh, system-wide ancillary services, uh, there's a new VP role there that's going to consolidate all of our ancillary services, so lab, um, lab imaging and, re and uh, rehab therapy. Lab imaging and rehab therapy. Uh, so we're going to have a system leader helping us to integrate all of those across uh, all of our sites. Just um, to throw on your boxes, so to speak, is this where... Um, I mean, you're going to be handling the, the, the Fairmont uh, move to San Leandro, the, the, the rehab move, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, when we talked about it yesterday at the Board of Supervisors, I don't know if there's a 
good time to put in a, a, a mention about it today or not if this is the right Oh, you'll spot. see it come in uh, later on in the plan when we talk about what the goals are. Okay. Uh, but, but it does fall under operations as a project. Right. Uh, uh, I'll wait till later then. Yeah, there are various components of his, right. his shop that will be handling that. And the two um, other SBUs, strategic business units, one is for behavioral health is there, mm -hmm. and uh, post-acute, actually it's three, I'm sorry, uh, post-acute is there. Uh, oh, that was a, I'm sorry, that was a newly configured role, so that's a role that Richard Espinoza, who's back here, he's not back here, is he? No. Uh, Richard Espinoza, who was overseeing all of the, the um, uh, post-acute on the island, now has all of the post-acute, including uh, uh, Fairmont Sniff and, and Rehab. Uh, so not a new role, but a reconfigured role there. Uh, and then... Um, and he has Rehab as well, is that what you said? Yes, so he has Rehab as well, right. Um, and so... Espinoza. Uh, and then um, uh, community hospitals is actually James Jackson, so that's a consolidation of what was historically uh, San Leandro and Alameda separate. Uh, so, so that's that. Uh, nothing, no new roles under the new things uh, switched to the chief nursing executive, but no new roles there. James. Uh, and then under the CIO, no new, no new roles there, right, Dave? Uh, under Mike, uh, same thing, uh, new functions shifted to him, but no new roles there. And then under uh, HR, um, uh, there's one new role. There's, the functions are listed to get, uh, uh, separately, diversity uh, and talent development and acquisition. There's a consolidated role there uh, that's, that's put there. Is that that's right, Jeanette? Okay. I'm looking to my folks to help me out here. And then... Um, I think the others are, are just re redesigns of what we've done. And actually, we didn't change pop at the bottom. We now call that health path. Uh, so that's it. we get that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you may come back. Okay. Uh, so this is just a refresher. So this we showed you before. This is sort of the high-level look at all the different SBUs and the sort of the um, stepwise plan over the next three years. And we, we kind of label each year as um, what would be the major themes of those years. So the first year throughout all of the plan is what we're calling foundational because now we have to create a new foundation, create new uh, competencies, create new sort of processes and all those things. Uh, so not, not terribly sexy things in many respects, uh, but, but really important things to be able to uh, realize the rest of the, uh, the dream, I was about to say, <laughs> the, the plan. Uh, I hope it's more of a plan than a dream. Uh, it is a plan. Um, um, so, and then the second year being transformational uh, and the, or transitional, uh, so kind of bridging our way over, and then the third year being uh, 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 transformational. So building our bridge there and then actually... Uh, hoping to fully realize it and have the tail out for the next two years. Uh, so this is all of the different SBUs and kind of some of the highlighted uh, um, uh, themes that came out of the, plan, uh, the, the strategic planning that then informed the uh, operational planning that you'll see for this year in a few slides here. Uh, this was for the support services, so the back office functions that support all of those uh, six business units. So again, finance, HR, IT, facilities, <coughs> qualities, quality care management, business development, and marketing communications, or what we're calling PACE now, uh, but wasn't called PACE when we did the plan. Uh, uh, so this is, this is what it would, uh, what would look like along those three years as well, and the things that we needed to do to support those business units. 
Um, so the next couple of slides I'm going to go through um, is going to show you the operational planning effort. And Delvecchio, I'm sorry. Yes. When, when you have your administrative meeting, mm -hmm. your exec, are, which boxes attend with you on a... Excellent question. So the, the boxes that attend, I've gone back to the org chart. So the boxes that attend my, uh, our executive leadership team, we meet once a week, um, uh, is everyone who reports directly to me. Of course, that one's vacant, but everyone else... And then anyone who is a biz strategic business unit lead who doesn't report directly to me. So Dr. Pernia uh, for Alameda Health Partners, who's a, a business unit lead for the AHP uh, position um, or provided delivery, uh, now comes to our executive leadership team. Um, uh, also, the well, when this role is filled, uh, the CAO for Ambulatory will uh, sit on the executive leadership team. And then um, the CAO for Behavioral Health, because that's a strategic business unit, sits on ELT. Uh, CAO for post-acute sits on the executive leadership team. And the CAO for both Highland and community hospitals, because they combine make the acute hospital SVU, mm. uh, also uh, participate on the executive leadership team. Am I missing anyone? I think that's everyone. Oh, and Iswari. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, but Iswari is, oh, yeah, that's right, because on this plan, or on this org chart, she reports to David with the asterisk there that says that she reports to David for business development. She reports to me for strategy. Oh, and Pace. Sorry. Terry. Terry here. Oh, good. You didn't hear me do that. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Terry also participates in the executive team <coughs> uh, as well. Although that may, that's subject to change when we fill this role. Thank you. Okay. Uh -huh. okay. So, uh, going to this. So, the next couple of slides will show you. Um, let me describe what we did and then what I'm showing you. So we had each of the business units go into a deep dive over the last couple of weeks to develop the operational plans, meaning what could they uh, realistically achieve that would uh, both uh, get, set the platform for this year and move us forward over the next eight months to year two of our plan and so on. Uh, and similarly, all the business or the support services uh, functions and leaders did the exact same thing. So we did a series of presentations for support services, and in our retreat, we did them all for the business units. And um, uh, as you might imagine, people, when they look in their silos, have very robust, you know, sort of inch wide, but a mile deep uh, plans and goals that they'd like to create. But then as a system, it's our, uh, our goal to sort of uh, bring that up and then figure out what our bandwidth and capacity is to do uh, a little bit of something in every area to make sure we're moving in the right direction. Uh, um, we often hear in our planning sessions, uh, Michelle's off-use admonition. Uh, you can do a lot, you just can't do everything. Uh, and so we try to take that to heart and figure out what are those key things that um, 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 that we feel are important and germane for moving the organization forward in the manner that, that we are espousing and would like to do. So uh, each of the business units I'm going to go through uh, are, I'm going to start with the top three goals that we've um, we've identified from each of those areas, and these will be the ones that we're going to actually actively pursue and uh, purposefully pursue as an organization over the course of the year. After each set of three goals, I'll show you and give you a flavor, not in a lot of detail, but it's here for your uh, perusal, uh, a lot of the other things that they wanted to do and would like to do. Um, the way that we're approaching this is uh, for a disciplined organization, uh, these are the things that we're focused on. If we have the resources, the time, and bandwidth, we can do some of these other things. Uh, but um, we are going to effectively put those things at a leadership level in what we're calling a parking lot. These are things that are important to do. And if we have time in the course of the year, we can pull them over and 
and do, or if the scenario or circumstance, underlying circumstances that drove to these goals change and we need to revisit this, then we can, we can say, the, the, do those same assumptions hold true or should we be doing something else? So constantly checking on what we're doing versus uh, what we should be doing. Uh, and then finally, if we don't get to those things uh, in the parking lot or whatever we don't get into uh, this year, we'll uh, serve as the foundation for next year's planning effort and, and we won't be starting de novo, this is a five-year plan, and all this stuff is supposed to be leading to one ultimate endpoint. So, so it's just to try to create that sort of uh, uh, organizational um, uh, discipline um, and recognize that we, we, we only, you know, we're a huge organization, we're a dynamic organization, and we don't want to, as leadership, overwhelm the organization with uh, too much, knowing that you know, this is but a part of what everyone does to, to advance our mission as an organization. Okay. So I'll start with population health. So three SMART goals here and then the measures. And I will concede, because uh, um, uh, I know many of you are quite astute, as I said before, we did a lot of, uh, the, the units did a lot of uh, pre-planning to do these presentations to us and help us to deliberate. Uh, we did further deliberation, and uh, so a lot of these measures are still kind of a little fluid and not necessarily uh, uh, as crisp as we want them to be uh, by the time we're done. But we're going to have it, we, we're committing to doing that before the end of this month. Uh, uh, we just, as I said, we did this at the end of the week and didn't have a lot of time to really uh, zero in on it uh, this week beyond our, our discussions yesterday. Uh, so population health, uh, three things that we're going to focus on is uh, waiver targets uh, because the waiver is in place now. We've done year one. Year one was largely about reporting baseline metrics. Year two now effectively begins the intervention and the improvement work. And each waiver uh, project or each waiver initiative has different sets of um, uh, deliverables. And so Prime is 10 projects that have 10 different or multiple different types of uh, uh, objectives around actual care delivery, uh, performance improvement, uh, infrastructure development. Uh, GPP, similar thing, shifting uh, greater emphasis on outpatient services and um, looking at where we deliver those services, not just within our walls, but actually other county-funded um, um, uninsured services that happen within the FQHCs, may happen at St. Rose Hospital or other places. We, we coordinate with the county to capture those resources and actually uh, uh, use them to leverage uh, uh, funding that we get from the federal level um, for, from intergovernmental transfers. So. Uh, so a lot of work along that, but the first one is about the, the waiver and achieving those clinical and operational metrics that are outlined in the program. So we don't really design them. Uh, they are metrics that are given to us. I don't know if anybody else is interested, but that DY12 ah, is confusing. Is. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it's uh, the waivers. Um, so California is fortunate enough to be in the third uh, of, three, uh, of a five-year waiver. And the waivers are demonstration projects, and so each year is called a demonstration year. So uh, the, the 2005 to 2010 waiver was years one through five, and then uh, the district, the last waiver, it was actually the, what was it called, the bridge to, bridge to reform waiver, uh, went from 2010 to 2015, and so that was DY5 through DY10. And now this one goes from DY11 through 11, uh, 15. Last year was DY11. This is DY12. It's effectively this fiscal year. So thank you for pointing that out. I need to say that. Uh, but yeah, this, it's the new targets. Remember, the first year was just report. It was actually submitting our prime projects and reporting our baseline metrics, and we got the money for that. So now we have to do interventions, and that's where that is. 
the second is health pack. So health pack again, uh, you know, is a, uh, the remaining uninsured indigent health program in the county. And uh, health pack uh, two, uh, Dr. Clannon has actually shared that with you all has uh, pay for performance targets for all of the contractors, AHS being uh, the largest of those contractors, and they're two big initiatives. There are a couple, but two big ones that we are doing in that space. One is an opioid reduction or uh, uh, initiative around um, the expansion of buprenorphine uh, uh, clinics and uh, 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 providers throughout our system. You know, we have a, a specific clinic here, but we want to put it in our primary care sites uh, as a set deliverable for uh, health back. The other is around uh, hep C and, and getting greater access for uh, uh, hep C uh, treatment for, for our patients. Uh, another one that's important for uh, another part of the population health um, uh, SBU is actually the county. Um, and, and how did you come to d determining that those those were the high those were the highest patient needs? Uh, you mean those two? Uh, it was the county's um, 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 priorities. County's so, priorities. Yes. So the county, as they are looking at what are some big initiatives that are kind of. Uh, uh, important on a local level or on a federal level and, and uh, driving what sort of targets they want to focus on uh, came to us and they wanted to create standardization around uh, all the different health tech providers uh, came to us with a couple of proposals of, of what uh, they wanted to focus on and these were two important areas. Was, was, was there anything determined on a, com on a community survey by any chance were any of these? I was going to see Nancy back there. Can you? So some of those discussions she's mentioned, we, we uh, at least monthly, I believe it is, actually there are a couple of different monthly convenings of all the various providers around the county that serve the safety net population. So us, the Alliance, or the FQHCs, Children's Hospital, uh, a couple of others who convene and, and over the course of the year talk about various initiatives and various uh, challenges that, that we're experiencing and opportunities we see. In. So I guess through that, some of these uh, initiatives will eliminate. Uh, so it, are there any formal surveys that go out to our various communities? Like a community health needs assessment? Uh, needs right. assessment? Uh, you know, it's, uh, the, the ACA requires the health needs assessments, I think, once every three years. And there's actually been some internal debate. We haven't had it in a while. Uh, but when I first got here, we were talking about it. Uh, there's, there's at least a presumption. Um, um, uh, that I've had for a while that safety net organizations were exempt from the requirement to do health needs assessments because historically um, the the focus of health needs assessments was really around or the requirement went for for it was to um, help those not for profit organizations who were counting their charity care as like you know we're doing uh, a, an education seminar for for pregnant mothers and that was community benefit and Ostensibly, it was also to drive volume to the organization. So, so the, the the thought was, no, you actually need to do an assessment of what are the actual needs in the community, and your community benefits should be driven by that. And so, because safety nets are typically and, and largely meeting those needs just as a sort of a, a uh, um, 
core you know, a core a mission, core mission then, right. then, uh -huh. then it's not. And, and we don't have requirements for charitable care and things like that um, um, outside of what we already do uh, or beyond what we already do that, that it wasn't really uh, tied to us. But I think there's been some interpretation that perhaps that's not entirely accurate. So, so we have to go back to that. But to your point, I don't know that any of this came from, because the other organizations around the county, like Kaiser, Sutter's, and uh, Washington and others would be doing health needs assessments, and I'm not sure. I can find out. I actually don't know myself, um, but I call them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I think Thank you. Real quick, sure. on, uh, you mentioned the, the um, substance abuse clinic as mm -hmm. part of that. and I didn't, but uh, we can talk about that. <laughs> no, what I mentioned with the buprenorphine clinic uh, uh, for opioid reduction, the substance abuse clinic is different. Sorry. No, okay. that's okay. Um, well, but I, I mentioned it. You, you so did mention it. And you have. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to, you, you want to, you, we've been talking about it, but we haven't got, I haven't gotten a full update. You, I know you want to know particularly from last year, you know. How, yeah, how just, exactly. I mean, it seems like the, that was a contract that we essentially we're going to end and end the clinic and it's here and it's part of that business unit now. So I'm just curious. It'd be nice to know. You know, we said at the time we're, we're, we're saving it and that's important, but what's important is to get it on track. So I know there has been work in that uh, uh, vein, and actually Dr. Jawaluddin, who's not here, I asked to look at it. Oh, the sun Surprise. is up. Surprise. Here. here you are. No, no, no worries. So, uh, the question was about the, the opiate. This, opiate the no, 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 the, the substance use clinic. Substance abuse clinic, yes. Yeah. So uh, uh, we have... Uh, uh, we have uh, like uh, a substance abuse clinic in, in the in, I think in the psychiatry part, but also there is a community mm -hmm. substance abuse uh, clinic. Um, so, what is the specific question? So, uh, during the budget discussions, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before, mm -hmm. it was proposed for elimination, and it was a point of uh, great debate. Right, um, I remember we, were, we were receiving an $850,000 contract with behavioral health mm -hmm. that uh, it was pitched to us could be $850,000 that could be spread elsewhere throughout the system and that our clinic was underperforming and there was some, there was some, some yeah. uh, again, I, I, it, was, it, was a, it was a sticky issue and it was, we determined that we would in fact keep the clinic but that we did want to see that the contract was being utilized, that, that the clinic was being affected, that the patient load um, was, was up to par, or, or and if some decentralization had to happen throughout our, our clinics, then fine. But We worked on that. Yeah. 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 So I actually want to, I want to spare him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've asked him to look into it. I don't think you, you've gotten that level of detail yet. Yes, um, I haven't got yet. And I right. expect it tonight. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You, since you, yeah. I just wanted to flag yeah. it. And, and our, yeah, so I appreciate And we ran into the women at the dinner That's right. from the clinic, and so That's I right. couldn't help remember it. It's all good. Uh, so we, we, we will uh, do the update. I just I, I brought it up because I know that there is, uh, we are <clears throat> currently experiencing uh, um, some, some leadership uh, uh, changes in that in that area, uh, of which I know Dr. Jumaldin is involved. Uh, but uh, we did talk before that around um, uh, taking a, a look back at this clinic and how it's been performing over the last year and what sort of... Uh, um, what what the future holds for, so we can give you an update on that. So we'll do that. Do you want to add anything? To uh, that? No, just uh, about the health pack uh, grant uh, related to the opiate dependency is really to build an infrastructure to have capacity to get patients out of dependency and to build skills around around uh, 
that kind of care. So we're trying really to uh, work you know, with the county, with our partners, to, to have an effective system throughout our FQHC to handle this patient population. Good. And as you know, the, the, the opioid reduction thing is a big national yeah. challenge, actually, yeah. uh, and, and getting a lot of attention from the Surgeon General. Um, okay, and so thirdly... Can I ask one yes. question? Do some of these metrics of success depend on the interoperability, right? Like when you're looking at... Um, the intervention addressing at least one social determinant or some of these. So the underlying IT Absolutely. stuff is yep. also going to be so, and, you'll, and you'll see that coming right up. Uh, so uh, these were the top three. Uh, so the third one, just briefly, mm -hmm. the trusted manager mentioned, developing a plan to address health equity and uh, measure being uh, at least one intervention that's addressing a social determinant of health. So looking at, you know, some sort of... Uh, 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 health inequity that may be uh, stratified by race, by gender, by sexual identity, uh, any any other uh, um, uh, demographic parameter, and then uh, uh, actively putting together an intervention that, that is uh, aimed at addressing that. So to your question, it's going to come on either this or the next page. Um, these were the, so, so remember, top three. These are the ones that they wanted to uh, that they proposed. So quite a lot, as you see here, quite a lengthy list. Um, um, I don't want to go through a ton of them, but I, to your question, I'll jump here. Uh, the last one, actually, uh, develop ways to address health equity. That's the thing that we brought forward. Uh, some of the IT infrastructure you have to. Real uh, is an acronym for race, ethnicity, and language. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to collect, and we currently do have. Um, uh, mechanisms to be able to co collect uh, race, ethnicity, and language data at our registration sites so that then you can do a uh, stratification of any sort of reporting you're doing on outcomes by those, dem uh, by those demographic factors. The second one is SOGI, or it's, uh, mm -hmm. and it stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender, Identi Gender Identity. We're actually still working on that. There's a lot of uh, work that's not just happening within AHS, but all the safety that's around the state and trying to um, uh, create the... Um, the infrastructure to be able to uh, uh, collect that data, but also then the, the uh, uh, practice and uh, approach to actually uh, soliciting that information and making sure that people don't uh, view the solicitation of that information in any way as a potentially adverse uh, right. uh, impact on their health mm -hmm. delivery and actually see it where it is. And there's some, there's some uh, best practices that are coming out of places uh, like a uh, particular institute in Boston and other places where they're looking at the most effective way to do this. Sometimes it's just a matter of actually giving it to patients as a pre-populated uh, thing that they could provide. Um, sometimes this, where you may collect other demographic information at registration, this would be one that you collect uh, from the provider talking to the patient uh, so that they understand that it's directly connected to their clinical care and not in any other way uh, being used to, to uh, uh, qualify or, mm -hmm. or, or address uh, our service to them. Uh, so, so that's, it does connect to IT, it right. connects to practice, it connects to a lot of different things. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. So we have the capacity to, to disaggregate this data and use it for... We do currently for race, ethnicity, and language, right, Dave? Uh, and, I, and we're developing it for sexual orientation and gender identity. Is that, is that accurate? Okay. All right, so, so as you see, though, uh, each of their goals and tactics it totals, I mean, they were probably one of the groups that was well over about uh, 15 different goals, and we pared them down to three. So 
Again, not saying that this group won't do more of these, but recognizing that um, the more they do, the more they draw on the resources of all the support services that's going to support all the business units, and we want to make sure that we don't overwhelm that part of our organization as well. So here's that group. Uh, I think I got through them all. And then the next one uh, is provider delivery, uh, AHP. And so the three that we brought forward um, are, uh, in this one we thought it was really important, while it, again, not terribly sexy, uh, but but it's really important to establish that infrastructure. Uh, uh, we are, you know, we have uh, leadership in place now. We need to cement that leadership. There's a lot of uh, underlying sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of fundamental business things that AHP as an organization has to create. So. HR uh, um, uh, policies and procedures, uh, operating policies and procedure, uh, marketing and other sorts of things that establish them as a physician organization within the market. That's a partner to Alameda Health System and the different uh, uh, ways in which our providers engage with them. So again, there's three different types of, uh, if you will, tiers of membership. There's employed physicians, there are contracted uh, uh, departments or physicians, and then there are affiliated memberships uh, as well. And so. Uh, as a part of that uh, core uh, piece uh, is the proliferation of some of that expansion of AHPs. As you know, over the course of the last year, we uh, successfully moved uh, roughly 18 or 19 providers into Alameda Health Partners, and we're trying to accelerate that over the course of the next year, or over the course of this year, I should say. Uh, the second one is developing and implementing a compensation plan. So this is just kind of standardizing a comp plan that the leadership of AHPs are physician-driven um, uh, or physician-led, I should say, initiative working with the AHB board to develop core principles around compensation that are about both base salary and uh, incentive compensation that uh, ties uh, incentives to um, um, requirements that the organization have to meet with respect to access, with respect to quality, and, and the like. And so that group uh, um, finds that um, an imperative, and we agree to deliver on. And then finally, um, uh, this is sort of our salvo into again, furthering our provider delivery um, system across our entire system is developing at least one system-wide service line plan. Uh, so we currently have one already uh, uh, that's not necessarily a, um, a service line, but we have our, all of our orthodocs in the organization have some presence in all three of our acute campuses. Uh, but we want to develop others and use that as the... Uh, so he's talking to me. Um, uh, he's used that as a, a model for then proliferating across the organization. Yes, sir. The compensation plan itself, is it going to include productivity standards? Absolutely. Okay. Yep, yep. Uh, and that will go through uh, Alameda Health Partners uh, and that board, but, but you, will, you will see it as a, a deliverable for this organization uh, overall, as a system overall, I should say. Uh, you have a lot of expertise in that area. We would be able to consult you on the side. Huh? <laughs> a little bit of expertise. Yes. You, 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 you know your way around that part. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so then, again, a lot of goals. So this group uh, probably, uh, I'm still going here, right, uh, had a ton as well and uh, same principles. So uh, uh, feel free to take a look at those. Uh, the ones that we haven't brought forward will live in the parking lot and uh, we'll, we'll try to attack off as many of these as we can uh, because we find them all important, but these are the ones that we're, we're really uh, zeroing in on. Uh, next one is ambulatory. Ambulatory is an outlier. Because ambulatory access is such a uh, driver for this organization, 
we could not nail this one down to three, and we did not want to nail it down to three. We thought it was actually important to uh, uh, show that there were six goals in this area as a as a increasing focus for the overall system and organization. So uh, we led with the with the you know we didn't bury the lead here. Increasing access is uh, continues to be our focus, and you heard us talk a little bit about that yesterday. Uh, we're trying to now as we shift towards a not uh, a more um, uh, risk-based delivery model, we're trying to um, uh, evolve our metrics in a way that would actually reflect uh, more of a um, of an orientation towards population health and increased access. And so what we decided was, uh, as, as consistent with our budget and what we've been doing for the past couple of years, uh, we're going to continue to measure and demonstrate expanded access by the number of clinic visits. Uh, so we, we have a budgeted amount, and we're going to continue to show that. But we're going to create what we're calling a watch measure here. Uh, that'll, that won't be the goal, but will be something we'll be looking at, which now will be a metric related to new visits, new patient appointments, um, uh, because there's a way to increase visits by seeing the same patients more often. And, you know, certainly you want to do that when it's clinically indicated, uh, but you also don't want to uh, lose focus and sight on the fact that expanding access, particularly as we get new lives and uh, at least up to now, people getting extended coverage, and we'll see what happens next year. Uh, those people needing uh, new uh, access points, and so uh, we want to we want to be watching that and making sure we're delivering on that as well. And that could form the basis of a new uh, way in which, in the next uh, year's goal, we change this metric to to focus on uh, again a different uh, slice of of access as a as a principle. Uh, don't want to go through all of these in the interest of time, but uh, if there any. Tell us what HEDIS means. Yeah. Oh, so HEDIS stands for Health Something Data effectiveness. And Information. Health effectiveness. Health effectiveness data, data improvement information set. Information information service set. So what it is is a uh, set of managed care um, um, uh, metrics that are they're metrics that are set by organizations that uh, rate uh, the effectiveness of managed care organizations to determine what they're doing uh, or, or how effectively they are managing the, the lives that uh, they're covering. So their metrics around productivity and access, uh, their metrics around the quality of care, whether they're doing some of the uh, uh, sort of fundamental best practices in primary care, you know, uh, women getting mammographies at a certain age, um, uh, people getting annual screenings, those sorts of things. Um, so. Um, we, as an organization, uh, because we're not a managed care organization, have not really, we're not terribly sophisticated in the heat uh, But uh, what we have been doing over the past couple of months is uh, having a very close uh, engagement. We had to cancel this morning. I think everybody was a little too sad. But we have a monthly meeting with, I should say most people, I shouldn't be presumptive. Um, uh, maybe not most, half the country. Uh, <laughs> Slightly more than half. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Slightly more than half. 0.01%. Uh, California was called with zero um, uh, precincts reporting. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, we don't do HEDIS a lot. Uh, we don't do it at all, quite honestly. But we've been partnering quite closely with uh, the Alliance, our, our close uh, Medi-Cal uh, public option partner, to talk about how they're being managed or how they're being uh, um, uh, measured and being uh, rated as an entity because their success portends our success. We're a big part of their delivery system. And, in fact, their scores are largely reflective of access at Alameda Health System, you know, uh, utilization at Alameda Health System. And we want to know what those things are. Are we reducing ER visits in a way that keeps them tracking with the industry? Are we providing amatory access within whatever the measures are? So we have been historically, when we look at access, uh, looking at third next available appointment. Yeah. You've seen that TNAA. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, under HEDIS, we think it's actually next available. And HEDIS sometimes even, I mean, it's next available based off of the um, primary care, specialty care, new patient, returning patient. It gets mm. kind of heavily stratified. So we're going to be looking at what are the key drivers for them and then aligning our goals with them, with theirs, so that we're we're tracking well our success between zero success and And, and how, how does the so HEDIS process affect our IT of our, our IT goals? What? For IT, uh, so it may just be a different. It would, it would be a different set of. We have our, our K2, which is our data. What do we call it? A data analytic, uh, data warehouse. Thank you. Warehouse. So it's it's a way in which we um, um, collect data and we're able to, to disperse it out to different end users to see how we're performing in a in a sort of almost real time fashion. Uh, so IT, uh, if we create HEDIS measures, uh, we'd be looking at ways in which we would sort of hardwire the pools from the various sources that would actually give us the aggregate um, uh, performance of the organization across those different measures and then actually be able to kind of track our performance and improve our performance itself. Okay, it, you know, I, th I think it's great to measure these things. So that, was, that necessarily isn't, isn't a concern of mine. My, mine was going back to our previous uh, meeting where we talked about setting the IT goals and what I was concerned about have been previously concerned about, and I think David addressed it pretty well at the last meeting, mm -hmm. was this what I would call kind of sporadic moving around trying to get technology yeah. and, and there weren't priorities. And so I was interested in, in, because we've already on this page established two or three different collection points mm -hmm. of information mm -hmm. and whether or not those are going to have an impact on the projects that we have lined up for IT, ah. and um, and because you have one set of organizations saying these are the critical, you know, health record, all etc. Mm -hmm. These are the more critical pieces, and then you have this plan dictating some of, not yeah. dictating, but requiring some, some of the some of the other things. And so I'm wondering mm -hmm. how those things are coming together. Sure. In a process that we don't again have this frenetic app stuff going on in IT. It's a great question. Uh, can, can I can I answer? Actually, uh, uh, like David, David to answer. <laughs> I, I, while David comes over, though, uh, um, uh, I'll, I'll sort of lead him in. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing in the IT strategic uh, planning process was. Um, uh, working with our, our partners, Lidos, to actually do what was called voice of the customer. So we did stakeholder engagement for all of the executive leaders, for all of, uh, a lot of our clinical leaders, some of our even external partners, and uh, through that then drove some of the priorities around some of the things that we were going to do in the future, and then that feels, feeds into some of the uh, uh, some of the goals as well. But I'll let, I'll let David talk a little bit more about that. So uh, that's specifically why the IT long-range plan is being done right now, and we and we backed off on the HR selection process a bit, is to make sure we had that alignment of those projects that brought together. So what were the things coming out of this plan that were going to require IT to focus and do projects, along with what was how does those long-term plan projects line up? So we bring this all together. So at finance last meeting, I presented the prioritization process. That's really meant to prioritize those within this plan, along with those other things that need to happen, like the EHR okay. So they, so they have already then been prioritized by IT or the IT committee. So you've given these things points already. No, this just came out last week. 
So this has not come into that process yet now to be scored along that and prioritized with the rest of the things that we already have on the list. Correct. But they will all go through that process. They will go through that yeah. process. The, the, and, and the thing about these, again, so to the point about um, the fact that um, there's a lot more of these, is that these will, will get a different prioritization. So there will be... Well, I, you know, I just... Thank you. And I, I just don't want... The, I don't want. Uh, I would. I would caution you not to get the cart before the horse. So you sure. settle in on, on these these measurements, which mm -hmm. I don't quarrel with. I think they're good measurements, mm -hmm. but sh you're not ready in IT to be able to deliver that. And then, ultimately, there's a frustration because we say what happened, and well, IT couldn't do it, and um, and it's not their fault. It's because we have made too many lists of things to do. Yeah, no, it's it was, a fair point, yeah. And and we've done that with a lot of things that, that are on the, mm -hmm. that will end up in the parking lot. So we've we've kind of already, if you will, uh, seeded the, the, the ground, if you will, to say that this will, when these things come before the, the same group, effectively, with a few exceptions, who make the IT uh, priorities, are the folks who made these priorities. Great, okay. So, so, so we will know, and it will be clear to us that these are the priorities that we've committed to and that we need to resource accordingly uh, to, to, to uh, so. yeah, Just the one last thing I'd add is one of the drivers behind prioritization was exactly alignment with the organizational strategic plan. Are you sure? Uh, now that you say <laughs> that, it was certainly with the IT plan, and the IT plan has to align with the organizational plan. But there was one on alignment of strategic directions. Okay. And then uh, to show you sort of uh, some, cons one of the drivers for our planning too was to make sure that where there were synergies across our business units that we were leveraging those. So you saw in Pop Health, we talked about delivering on health pack and the prime right. targets. Uh, a lot of that work happens in our ambulatory SBU and so we prioritize that here as well uh, and pulled that forward uh, just to sort of leverage the fact that this was something we were going to be doing and uh, was, was going to require effort in both of those areas to make it uh, come to fruition. Uh, so, why, uh, yes, sure. why does HEDIS, why are the HEDIS measures so important in this SBU, in this deliverable? Because, I mean, it looks like the other, the other um, goals are pretty, gen, gen, I think it, it, it just seems more specific, that, that specifically HEDIS measures, is that um, the goal of, of being a um, managed care partner and being, um, contracting, you know, region-wide and... In that direction, yeah. Yeah, you want to... Uh, the HEDIS measure is determine uh, how many lives are assigned by the state to the health plan. And so the more successful they are, the more membership they get, and the more uh, risk they can delegate to us. Is um, the alliance kind of driving HEDIS or driving any of these, or not maybe driving, but is the alliance as our partner? It's a huge focus for them. Okay. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, and we're, yeah, we're, yeah, there's going to be a meeting Full disclosure, our, I'm on their board. Uh, our clinical quality people with theirs to go through the measures and say, what's important to you? How can we align our initiatives with yours? Right, because I know we talk about health pack, and, and that's very clear why we would be using health pack targets and why we would rely on the county or, or be partnering with the county, mm -hmm. because obviously health pack is our um, shared goal there, but with, I was just curious about the HEDIS. Does that, does that clear it up? Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, and then the others, again, uh, standardizing uh, templates. So this is uh, driving towards the access, so making sure that our underlying infrastructure in terms of how many, you know, the, the, the a lot of times for visits, making sure that those add up to, you know, in, in capacity and uh, uh, um, space and all those things to, to actually be able to provide that access. Uh, expanded strategy, expansion strategy, this is not a... What this is is a delivery of a strategy. So what we we've mentioned this to you that part of our strategic plan did uh, call out, and, and both in terms of sort of um, actual numbers as well as anecdotal <coughs> feedback from various stakeholders. Uh, it was reflected a, a little bit yesterday in the meeting uh, too that that there's a need for the uh, for our system to provide greater access in different parts of the county, uh, and and we and that applies in ambulatory setting too. So. Uh, one of the areas that we, uh, two of the areas we've been looking at um, a little actively now and trying to think about how this will feed into a broader uh, ambulatory expansion strategy uh, is South County. So we have a clinic in Newark now, uh, mm -hmm. but South County has been growing and uh, there's a, a, actually a homeless uh, population that's actually uh, uh, there too. And so there's some potential need there that's being met by uh, some mobile clinics and even our mobile van goes down there, but there may be some ability to build additional clinical infrastructure. And on Alameda Island, uh, that has also been a, uh, a identified need uh, um, uh, in, in, a, in, in some ways similar, but in some ways different. Um, uh, one of the ways in which it's different there is with the hospital. Uh, as you know, uh, part of our one of our strategic efforts last year was uh, improving our managed care contracting. And, you know, we've had, um, although now some tractions, we had a little bit of a delay um, uh, with some of our manuscript contracting and part of the um, uh, stated uh, sort of lack of priority for us from them was we don't have a ambulatory uh, uh, presence and mm -hmm. so you know even if we had a contract with you we probably wouldn't be sending a lot of folks your way for acute services because you're not, <clears throat> you're not in those other networks and you don't have anybody sort of ambulatory wise feeding into you except on the mainland if you will mm -hmm. and so so we're working, we're considering that uh, because there is a need, there's a community. We have some specialty services there. We actually co-located them in a, in a great space and it presents an uh, opportunity for us to look at where we may look at some ways to cover uh, and provide uh, primary care services there as well. That's not post-election coverage. <laughs> so, so some places it'll be primary expansion. Some places it'll be specialty expansion. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is this is ambulatory overall. Uh, uh, what I just talked about was all primary, uh, but we are looking at specialty, specialty as well. One of the main drivers in the specialty arena that we want to look at is um, uh, tighter alignments with. Um, our own uh, ambulatory sites, but also with the FQHCs. Uh, mm -hmm. We talked for a number of years about, uh, around a co-located model or a sort of, if you will, a, a, a rented model where we may uh, be able to bring, bring in non-procedural um, specialists into a site versus them referring all the appointments here. We could actually have a, you know, at one of the, let's say, AHS, Asian Health Services, or Dr. Bursio Vasquez, a... One of our specialists go there, and then the clinic appointments be scheduled there, and uh, see people like once a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's very early on, but it's part of a strategy that we want to uh, uh, flush out a little bit more this year and deliver on, and then um, uh, act, act on it uh, in a more aggressive way in the out years. Okay. okay? Mm -hmm. All right. I'll try to speed it up, uh, uh, but but please stop me if there are any questions. Uh, so this, again, those are the six priorities. Uh, uh, here was the additional 20 or so that they wanted to 
There were maybe not that many in this area. Acute had a lot more. Uh, we pulled a lot of theirs over, uh, this group's over. Uh, now to acute, we, we uh, paired acute to three. Uh, we really wanted to focus on inpatient throughput. You've heard a lot about us uh, working on those efforts. Some of that does tie well to our efforts in both ambulatory, post-acute, and behavioral health. Uh, so we're looking, uh, in this case, at uh, three different areas, one of which was mentioned yesterday, actually. Um, so time from the ED door to floor is you know, a patient uh, who is uh, coming into our emergency room and ultimately needs to be admitted and making sure that that, uh, that sequence of admission is actually uh, as, uh, as value-added and, and uh, less wasteful as possible. Uh, looking at average length of stay on the, in the acute setting, uh, looking at it from a case-mix-index-adjusted case, case, case uh, uh, var- way, uh, as David has reported to you and uh, those of you in finance committee and yesterday, uh, we've had a decrease in discharges uh, thus far this year, but our uh, patient days have increased and our uh, uh, CMI has increased, and so there seems to be some uh, potential correlation between sicker patients and longer stays. Uh, uh, but we want to, as, as an organization, actually, our average length of stay uh, is an outlier, our aggregate average length of stay, uh, so we want to be able to... Um, look at that length of stay against some um, uh, benchmarks because they vary based on the type of hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're, you are in a case mix that you have, but we want to be able to tie uh, our performance to what is industry performance and really, again, start to drive towards uh, uh, best practices in that space uh, driven by some objective uh, data. And then finally, the one that was mentioned yesterday was dwell time in, in, in ED, and that's actually it. Uh, uh, oh, actually, you know what? I'm sorry. That was wall time. This is dwell time. Dwell time is actually after a patient's been admitted and an admit order has been written, how long it takes them to get from the uh, ED to the floor still because they're waiting on a bed to be uh, turned over or waiting for somebody to be able to take the court for the patient or a whole district barrier. So, so that's one area that we're focusing on. Okay. Uh, OR utilization, another big area, and this is across the system. We, we have varying uh, um, uh, opportunities in all three of our sites to optimize the use of our operating rooms uh, and to standardize use of block times and uh, uh, cancellation and monitoring and all of that. And then uh, this goes to the AHP uh, plan too, so another uh, area of um, uh, overlap here, looking at ways in which we might implement solutions to address a a, a, a need that's across our system. So GI is an area where uh, we have some needs here at Highland, though a fairly solid infrastructure, but we have really dire needs at, uh, at our other two sites. And so working with the leadership in that area to look at that as a potential um, uh, service that we may make a systemic service versus doing individual contracts um, uh, at all three areas or individual programs at all three areas. This GI won't, be, won't correlate to that new service line across uh, uh, systems or this, this could, kind yeah. of this might. Yeah. It may. I don't know if that we've decided that it is, but it, it certainly could. And that would be a synergy that we could Because leverage. everyone is kind of using GI right now. Right? Absolutely. And there's a there's a need in the system. Okay? So this one, ha- they have like 20-something goals, and we pared them down. Actually, I don't even think this was all of them. But anyway, what's that? Oh, those are the specific tactics for those. Thank you, sir. Uh, and then behavioral health. So, but, Yes, sir. What's GI stand for? Oh, gastroenter... Gastrointestinal, sorry. Gastrointestinal. 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 Gastrointestinal.
it's one not, of our clinical services that's expanding? Or uh, that's we, we have it at all sites, but at Alameda and San Leandro, we effectively have one provider, and um, one provider each, uh, and it's, it's extremely taxed. Uh, and so we need to figure out a, a more standardized way. Both, and this is we're doing this in the <laughs> acute SBU, but it has implications for ambulatory as well. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's it's a huge opportunity for us. Well, according to the commercials on TV, there's a lot of need for that sort uh, yeah. of intervention. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, so behavioral. So, you know, when we started the plan, behavioral was our most solid business unit in terms of the leadership. Uh, uh, very stable. We had everybody in place and we were ready to go gangbusters. Uh, and very excited about that because, you know, uh, behavioral is a hallmark of what we provide as a system and we're, we're proud of that and we take that, uh, we take great, great honor in our, our accountability in that area. Well, you know, <laughs> things happen while you're making plans. And so now, it's actually uh, uh, our area where we need to step back a lot more. And so uh, we've effectively pared this down in a way that uh, uh, is a lot less ambitious than what it would have been if we had done this uh, for you two months ago. Uh, but the first one is really going to be a big focus for us and really creating, recreating that system-wide leadership structure. And there's an emphasis there on system-wide. So uh, while you know historically uh, we've, we've referred to these roles as uh, the CAO for John George and the medical director for behavioral health and the uh, director of nursing for, or I'm sorry, yeah, for, for psychiatry, I mean, and the uh, uh, director of nursing for John George. Uh, this, there's an effort to recognize that as we show in our, in that diagram you saw, behavioral health covers the entire continuum right here. And so we're creating a leadership structure that looks at, obviously, uh, John George being sort of the physical epicenter of a lot of our um, particular acute uh, behavioral health work, but our ambulatory extends at least now here at Highland and at Fairmont and uh, could, in partnership with the county, be broader. Uh, and as well, uh, there's some behavioral health uh, um, opportunities and needs in our post-acute settings. And so uh, we're going to create the system-wide leadership structure there. Uh, uh, we just announced today, actually, interim leadership on the clinical side. Uh, we have an interim uh, director of nursing, and we're uh, actively uh, recruiting for uh, the CAO for behavioral health. So, and, our, and we're recruiting for the permanent roles in, in those two areas as well. Yes. So, in in our um, primary care clinics, or at least in the one I work in, um, we've had more access to there more availability of, so to speak, warm handoffs to behavioral health people sitting in clinic with us at the time that we're, you know, doing our primary care. Um, is that part of any of Yes, it is. So the second part of uh, the, the prime targets actually get to that. So one of the prime projects is um, um, expanding uh, physical medicine and behavioral health integration. So looking at how are you uh, um, both assessing and taking care of as appropriate behavioral health needs in the primary care setting, and similarly in the behavioral health setting, how you're taking care of physical health needs. And so, so it sort of cuts both ways. And so... Um, I don't know the actual interventions for the prime project under that particular. Um, I know but one of them is the helpful. yeah. It's a couple of things, but That's one of great. them is uh, um, expanded and uh, standardized uh, uh, SBIRT assessment. So that's a uh, substance use uh, tool. The, the the tool that looks at uh, uh, substance use and uh, whether patients have identified needs in those areas in a proactive way, uh, and other sorts of uh, mental health uh, batteries, and then. Uh, the interventions, uh, like the ones that you're mentioning, to make sure that we're doing that. We might actually be looking at the model. Uh, there was a uh, part of this plan, uh, I think it may be here, uh, that, that talks about uh, looking at doing a needs assessment and trying to figure out the, 
the model is that here yeah uh, and then there's also integrating staff training to provide cross system training specific uh, um, uh, to mental health and substance use disorders so uh, looking at what the care delivery model might be there that might actually uh, not only use psychologists and psychiatrists in, in that setting, but also may use uh, care, care managers and others to deliver uh, more, uh, uh, less intense uh, uh, substance use or behavioral health services for this population. Uh, so the other, two, so so and and prime because the targets are there and the intervention start this year, we could not do that. So so we put that as a priority. And then the third one was uh, a little less about focusing on us, but continuing our work in partnership with the county to uh, be the drivers of and helping to shape the direction of behavioral healthcare delivery uh, throughout the county. So obviously addressing our own front doors and PES and uh, acute, but also as I said, uh, post acute uh, and community services outside of our walls uh, partnership. And some of that uh, falls under whole person care, uh, uh, which is looking at a high utilizer population uh, uh, and uh, um, assessments for inpatient capacity, which is looking at uh, the need to, the potential need to expand uh, uh, bed capacity either at John George or elsewhere in the county. Okay? Uh, so again, a lot of the different uh, tactics here, a lot of which we're, we're necessarily having to uh, delay while we sort of retool and, and regroup. Um, you keep going? Did you, did you want to say something? No. Okay. It looked like you were leaning in. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Post-acute. Uh, so uh, rehab relocation. Um, this is where that comes in, if you wanted to ask about that. Uh, the three goals. So we, we definitely have to do that, and we're, we're going to be telegraphing, seeking your approval in the first quarter of next year, uh, uh, and then moving forward with that uh, um, plan shortly thereafter. Uh, standardiz standardization of the org, org structure. Now that we've consolidated all of the post-acute under one uh, business unit, Richard has a really uh, elaborate uh, way in which we're structuring that organization to uh, standardize some of the, uh, the uh, uh, leadership structure and some of the um, uh, sort of back office functions that happen uh, uh, at various places in different ways. Uh, he's already identified some opportunities that uh, we may have missed. Uh, uh, in our sort of uh, more fragmented model, and so we're looking at uh, how how we could uh, do that, uh, how we can reorganize and um, tool that part of our business, not just to to monitor operations and care delivery, but also to deliver on some of the uh, the uh, uh, financial side, billing and collection, as well as dealing with some of the P P for P programs like the uh, comprehensive joint. Uh, replacement bundle that we're required to be in, so that's the CG, CJR uh, uh, bundle from, from Medicare. Mm -hmm. uh, and then looking at uh, consolidation on the uh, rehab side, so standard work in OTPT and speech, uh, largely here at the Highland campus and at the Fairmont campus, um, uh, but then looking at it, I think, actually across the system uh, uh, in other sites as well, so, uh, and, and then uh, having as measures uh, quality, quality metrics uh, uh, that are important for our uh, post-acute facilities. And as you know, uh, they're, they're actually doing pretty good in these areas already, but there's some opportunity across the system. That's part, partly why they're actually the, the five-star rated facilities. Uh, and been able to maintain that for a full year now. So I told them no pressure, but we got to keep that up. So no, Rick, before oh, you yes. go anywhere. Sorry. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> in the um, year one to three strategy in post-acute, you have um, expand subacute at Alameda Hospital, and then in acute, you also have um, a transitional care at Alameda Hospital. Can you just expand on those two? Uh, I can a little bit. Uh, what When we did the plan, um, 
the uh, subacute at Alameda Hospital, so the second floor there, um, there's a vacant unit, or not vacant, uh, actually, there's a vacant at all. Actually, I think that's where the, uh, the uh, infusion center is. Uh, there was talk what? at... Right. There was talk at one point, there was actually a lot of talk about how that space could be repurposed for a number number of different uses. At one point it was going to be a joint replacement center, at one point it's going to be expanded um, uh, uh, subacute. And uh, so we saw the need to, because the subacute is, is always full, uh, expand that capacity. Uh, right, realistically right now it doesn't look like that is a viable option. Uh, but. So to the supervisor's point yesterday, when we look at uh, expanded skilled nursing uh, and or subacute capacity across the system, um, it's a little bit more downstream, but um, the relocation of, uh, of the rehab from Fairmont to, to um, uh, San Leandro presents an opportunity for us to expand our, sub, uh, our, our post-acute capacity, which could, could uh, uh, include subacute or it could be uh, SNP. So, so that's a that was a goal in year one when we right. did the plan. Uh, but I think we're still looking at now whether that would actually be. It's mentioned a couple times in there, and I just wanted to yeah. clarify if it was year one or downstream, or whether it was even at Alameda. Initially, it was year one, and it was at Alameda. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as you know, uh, on the board, we've uh, uh, doubled down on actually trying to um, uh, restore and invigorate uh, the infusion center which was uh, you know just a few days a week and trying to try to build that back up so so that has changed those plans a little bit um, and my other question well and actually maybe in the future not the end of the year but maybe in January meeting we could get an update on how that's going I would like that. the infusion center work or you can just come to the AHCD board and share that but yeah I would be very be interested here. to know how um, Louise can give it Actually, I'll be there, but he'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but the transitional care, is that a similar... Um, transitional care know. is mentioned in the um, Do you know acute, what that is? Yeah, let me in just... In the acute yeah. SBU okay. at Alameda. So, so how does... So uh, in, uh, in our system, especially at Highland Hospital, we have patients who are ready for discharge, but they might need some care that could be delivered as outpatients, but they're psychosocial and uh, their ability to get this. So in California State, it seems that if we put them into a non-acute setting, in a transitional care setting, we can be reimbursed uh, awaiting this. So in other words, instead of having uh, patients staying here beyond their average length of stay in an acute care setting, we can put them into a transitional care setting and have more beds for our patient waiting in the ED for beds. So that's, uh, that's you know, the way we understand it. So and we don't is, have uh, one of those, but we're thinking about y- Yes. Uh, uh, John Chapman did a study, and it seems uh, we can get reimbursed. Uh, now, when our patients is, are beyond their average length of stay and they have uh, gone uh, beyond uh, their disease-designated uh, average length of stay, they are not reimbursable in the acute care sector. Right. We either get admin days or we get no no reimbursement at all. Right. It helps with the throughput. And it helps the patient. Correct. Yeah. And, it hel- and it helps our bottom line. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Thank you. I forgot about that. On, on the rehab. So yes, it's just, uh, you're coming to a plan uh, in February? You're going to ask for approval of a plan for that? Uh, yeah, yes, I think, yeah, correct. And I thought you said that more more recently you'd be asking us to approve an RFP that will go out. Is that correct? Uh, no. Or is that, will, that will be February. The RFP, I think, you're working on now, right? Correct. Yeah. So do you bring that to us before you send it out, or do you 
bring us back to the we bring you back the, the final product. The final so I'm just going to take this moment, and um, I've brought this up. Can I? Can I? Can I? Yes. What I'm <laughs> yeah, I know what you're going to say. Okay. What am I going to say? You're, you're, you're talking about local. Local. Yeah, you got it, baby. Yeah. So, so <laughs> we heard you, and Luis is, is is glad to share what the process will look like that factors in some of what you're talking about. I can. So, so the uh, as far as and to be specific, the RFP we're looking at at this point in time is, is going to be for uh, construction management services as well as as construction for the contractor itself. So the design has already been done. In fact, when we when when this was put out initially, when it was awarded, it was awarded to uh, one of our you know, local design firms, Atatas, and we used that we used them for the design, but we did not elect to go ahead and use them as a design build model. So, and the reason for that was because we wanted to make sure that we can, uh, you know, go through the competitive bid process to help manage the cost as it relates to um, the construction delivery itself. So, it, it's, it's, you know, depending on the size of the project, the complexity, and the scope of the project, it was better for us to do that. So, uh, part of that process now, what we've done is, um, you know, we are taking every single one of our RFPs uh, or bid, bid processes for that. We're reaching out directly uh, and soliciting from all of our local providers. Uh, in the area here that have the skill set and expertise in these different areas. So we're soliciting directly from them and we're reaching out to them as well as we're doing our you know, generally accepted practices of, of public advertising and, and going into the builders exchange to go ahead and, and reach out a broader, broader lens. But part of that RFP, what we've done is we've created a grading criteria for evaluation. So as we're receiving these, uh, as we receive the, the bids, uh, and, and we make this very open and, and, and transparent. It, it is part of the RFP process where all of the prospective bidders are going to understand what the grading criteria is going to look like. And what we, we've identified is that there is obviously some some points that are awarded for those providers and those those uh, contractors that are of local, uh, you know, that, that are local to our, to our community. So that's kind of one of those things where we can't solely base our decision on that. But we can certainly provide some, some incentive for, for those and, and part of that criteria. So, again, it's, it's clear. Everybody knows it. They see it. And so, you know, it really hopefully encourages our, our local uh, contractors to, to participate. So, again, sometimes that also has to do with, you know, their workload and their bonding capacity and their, you know, desire to take on a project of that size. But, again, we want to make sure that we incorporate that. So we have that built into the RFP process and we will use it as part of our grading criteria and evaluation. Great, two questions. How do you define local? How do we define local? Mm -hmm. Well, Alameda County okay. uh, as a whole, and, 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 uh, and then we, like I said, cast out a broader net through the Builders Exchange to where you know, we may have other, other contractors that come from you know, the, the Bay Area as a whole. Yeah. I just want to make sure that, yeah, local is Alameda County, and sometimes out-of-town out, out firms will partner with a local contractor and give them 1% of the job to meet some local qualification. And I think that's kind of, it, yeah, that's not, that's not exactly what, that doesn't get to the, to the, to the purpose. Uh, and then my second question, um, can we build in a local hire requirement for that contractor to make sure they're using Alameda County construction workers and not bringing people in from out of town? And we got plenty of them that need work. I mean, again, the whole point is we're an anchor institution. We provide more jobs in this town, in this county, than, you know, we're one of the biggest employers. 
but our ability to be an even bigger employer through these projects, I think, it, you know, it just it, it, it magnifies our impact in the community. Um, so, so can we consider that as well. So the short answer is yes, we can certainly consider it, and it is something we are considering. Um, what we're attempting to do in our consideration is one, um, uh, just as you said, uh, espouse our value that uh, we are an anchor institution, and as it, as such, we want to make sure that. The core work that we do is inuring to the benefit of the community, not just the healthcare delivery that we provide. So it kind of helps them to be able to uh, procure <coughs> these services. Hopefully, somebody builds the rehab center, and then if they ever need rehab services, they go, "I know, yeah. I know that place is beautifully built. I help build it. I'll get my care there." Well, it would be nice to have the people building our hospital look like the people who visit our hospital. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, and so that is that is something that we are espousing, and that we have we have uh, uh, really. Um, uh, Say, um, embraced as, as, as core to what we want to do. At the same time, though, I w- want to be careful that there is some, uh, there's a, a balance that the group wants to make sure that they uh, strike uh, because one of the, uh, as you know, one of the uh, so, sort of quote-unquote benefits, if you will, of uh, becoming an authority was that we became exempt from some of the things that you have to do in terms of contracting when you are a, uh, a fully public agency. Mm-hmm. And those processes can really tie things down in a way that can be sometimes a little bit uh, uh, counterproductive or, or disabling and things, projects that would take, you know, I'll give you an example. We, the the uh, FQHC, which one it was, we, um, we did a road trip uh, when we were doing our South County assessment, and we went to see one of, uh, was it Tabisha Vasquez? That, that clinic that we went to see? Yes, down in, uh, in uh, Fremont. It was in Fremont. Fremont, yeah. This clinic was a former 24-hour fitness, I believe it was. It was some gym. Mm-hmm. And they said, like, two months ago, we went into this area where all the exam, were, exam rooms were, and they said two months ago there was a pool right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... They were able to quickly turn this, and it was absolutely beautiful, actually. Not just completely turn it over and construct it and turn it into a clinic, but fully outfitted and have mm-hmm. it up and ready to go. And that's kind of one of the the, the things that, uh, the nimbleness that you can have when you are um, uh, not uh, subject to a lot of other parameters. Um, uh, but it doesn't take away the first part of what I just said. So we want to make sure that those are core to what we're uh, what we're doing with all through all of our work, and we're going to prioritize them as you as you've heard. Uh, uh, but at the same time, we're going to try to strike that balance so that we. One of the concerns um, that I don't fully appreciate, and Mike's not here, um, uh, as is uh, from a legal perspective, if we then if we muddy the waters and create a precedent where we're effectively doing something that we don't have to do, whether that could in somehow in some ways uh, uh, tie our hands in the future in terms of what we have to do uh, mm. and or create. The, uh, the precedent for, for the agencies like ours who still have to be subject to, to things Right, that so that, that's, that's very specific to the public works requirements mm-hmm. related to the California Health and Safety Code, right? So as, as based on the, on the structure, our current structure, we don't have to, uh, you know, uh, we don't have to follow that process of, of, of managing public works. Uh, we can, we can, you know. Certainly, we have more flexibility related to that, and that's what they're like saying. But you know, what one of the things that we have decided and we want to do is it really, it really, it gives us the ability to 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 vet some of the some of the you know some of the contractors or the, the providers that are out there, and it also in, in, in increases the competitive nature of the uh, of the process, helping us really make this a you know looking at it from a cost uh, perspective and how we can drive that competition to help improve cost and. Being responsible from that perspective, so 
we're wanting to do both of those, um, but making sure that we stay within uh, the boundaries of our current structure. But, but that said, make no mistake, this is your, 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 your message has been heard, and, uh, and we want to do it. Uh, so it's not, it's not a begrudging thing at all. Uh, we think it's the right thing to do, and so Great. Um, that's, why, that's why he could tell you that that's what we're working on. I have a question that is something that's been sort of on my mind for a long time, which is that, it, it, so it is true then that the acute care inpatient hospital has more stringent seismic requirements than other That's correct. inpatient. In, in, well, inpatient, no. Uh, well, no, acute facilities are uh, um, governed by OSHPA, the state, and so there are a lot of rigorous, stringent rules on acute facilities that are managed by OSHPA. There are clinics, depending on whether they're on an acute campus or not, that are governed by local uh, uh, well, depending on the services provided. So you have OSHPOT and OSHPOT 3 requirements for those outpatient type of settings. So, so, so OSHPOT applies to all acute care, uh, well, so inpatient acute. That's my question. Subacute, not OSHPOT. Uh, yeah, no, sub yes, yes. subacute falls under that as well. Because then you can't put subacute at Fairmont if that, that's all. Right, long-term or, or no, residential, whatever. No, Fairmont is actually under, Fairmont's under OSHPOT. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. Fairmont is actually licensed as a uh, hospital. But it has seismic problems. Yeah. Correct. Yes. It has seismic problems for acute. Uh, That's what I'm saying. It's, uh, so subacute is not the same as acute, apparently, for this seismic requirement, or you wouldn't be talking about <coughs> putting subacute at Fairmont. Not for the seismic requirement. Not for That's correct. Yeah. Right. For the seismic, there's different categories for different levels. <laughs> that was my question. Thank you. So say that again. So I there are pretty specific seismic requirements for an inpatient acute yeah. hospital, and Fairmont will never meet them. So we can't have them there any past whatever the date is. 20, you know, the end of the night. It's 2020. Yeah. For, for so that's why we're going to San Leandro with but but they mentioned that they might by vacating the re acute rehab. At Fairmont, they might put think about putting a subacute unit in there, and if you're thinking about putting it in there, it has to not require as much seismic, right? You know, correct. And actually, so I think there, I think we still have to do some work on that. Although I think they're correct. Um, what I was alluding to earlier was we may not be able to expand subacute uh, anymore. What we may be able to do to address uh, post-acute need, though, is expand skilled nursing. Is subacute and postacute the same thing? No. Subacute is one part of postacute. So you, you, you know, it's like it's skilled nursing, skilled nursing facility, yeah. and a subacute unit are somewhat different. Correct. So it may be that we don't put subacute at uh, at Fairmont, but we expand uh, SNF, which we already have. Post postacute is your transitional phase. So after you've been in the hospital, your acute care setting, you go to a postacute setting, which would be anything related to a SNF or a rehab facility or something of that nature. But rehab is acute inpatient. I mean, the one that our that's so it's right. But you have inpatient, outpatient rehab facilities. And I know, but, it, but it, I'm, I'm just talking about the seismic requirements. Correct. Acute rehab is an in, is designated as an inpatient. Correct. Uh, Correct. Hospital Acute that rehab. requires the same seismic right. conditions as, as, as the rest of the hospital. Correct. Correct. And acute site as well. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Such as yeah. 
Okay. But yet people are still in those buildings, which is what I find. <clears throat> but because they're more mobile. Because uh, that's right. Skilled. And you know that's that's still the case around the state. So acute facilities have until uh, 2030 to be seismically combined. And for the record, just so we're clear, um, neither Alameda Hospital nor actually from the uh, acute uh, seismic level, the the first. Levels of, of San Leandro that are still acute are not seismically compliant for 2030 yet. Oh my so we still have those challenges. Okay, oh let's okay. move right let's along. Move on. Okay. Thank you. I just want to make sure. Full disclosure here. Uh, okay, uh, so uh, we're posted here. So the, here are all of Richard's. Uh, uh, very impressive and elaborate mm -hmm. plans. Uh, these are the key deliverables for the different support services. So uh, we uh, tried to really uh, pair this group down too, but uh, we, we got to three in each area. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a lift. A lot of these are directly connected to some of the, um, the different SVU things that we were, we were, we're working on, but some of them aren't, and they have broader applicability across the, uh, across the system. So... For example, uh, uh, in finance, uh, we've talked about this a lot, the Sorian um, financial rebuild, uh, something we have to get done this year. Uh, loss and rebuild, uh, we're also uh, um, uh, scoping and, and looking at working on, and then physician alignment strategy and contracting uh, uh, for, um, for uh, work for finance to help to support. A um, couple of others. Um, uh, that, that are on here, any of them, if you want to ask me about, happy to, to go into them, which is a time I'll keep going. Uh, and now what we have here is a, um, a this is our roll-up dashboard, and this is a draft of it, so you'll see some of the stuff is, again, quite, quite um, uh, fluid in what cement, but we're going to fix this um, at the end of the month. And this slice of a dashboard, let me tell you how we're going to be using this. So this is how we will monitor. Uh, these are the goals, these, the ones where you saw the top three and in ambulatory, the top six. Those will effectively be the goals of that business unit. And it'll be the responsibility of the lead of that business unit to drive those goals. When we get to the organizational level, because all of those leads are, are, are leaders at a system-wide level, we have chosen, from a dashboard perspective, a couple of goals in each of our pillars that cross over each of those areas. So in access, we have some access goals in ambulatory. We also have some access goals around uh, the OR and throughput and uh, uh, acute. But we decided that of the, of the pillars, we wanted to pull this one up as one that we were going to track. Um, um, uh, most most uh, visibly at the system-wide level, and this will be a dashboard that we'll be showing to you uh, each month as a board. Sustainability, we did the EBITDA margin, although there are a couple of others, but this is the one that we're going to track as the sort of overarching high-level one that we would like to keep you, you cognizant of, uh, but certainly we'll be looking at the others, and if you're ever interested, we could give you that drill down. Uh, quality, we're looking at... Um, uh, Three different ones. I think harm reduction in two different ways. So there'll be two different types of harm. We may look at uh, patient falls and we may look at pressure ulcers. We're going to decide what those are. Uh, and then all-cause readmissions as another. I think we're focusing on the post-acute setting here um, uh, for that particular one. Uh, experience, we're going to be looking at HCAPS, uh, which is inpatient, CGCAPS, which is uh, uh, ambulatory, and then thresholds for uh, John George. Um, this is at this level. So uh, there are... 
patient experience that we'll be looking at in post-acute, we just didn't pull it up for that particular indicator to this dashboard. If you're ever interested, we'll be tracking it. You can see it. Uh, network, similar sort of thing. We're going to be looking at physician alignment strategy on the Alameda Health Partners. We're going to uh, flush that out as a specific goal that we'll be tracking uh, uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, developing a plan in MOU to look at a relationship with home care agencies. This is a post-acute goal around network and achieving a contract where we would have set sort of uh, quality indicators and uh, access indicators that we would like to espouse for uh, someone that we will partner with. So this could be a board and care facility, for example, or it may even be another skilled nursing facility when we're out of capacity that we may send one of our patients to. So I want to make sure they're getting a standard, same level of care wherever they go. Uh, uh, whether they're in our walls or not. And then behavioral health uh, integration model, that was that third goal around making sure that we're partnering closely with the county and looking at how we are uh, integrating behavioral health and physical medicine, uh, uh, driving that forward. Workforce, we're going to be looking at, uh, uh, as you know, we have a, a lot of contracts being negotiated uh, this year in bargaining units, uh, and the largest of them, the um, SEIU um, a contract both for the general unit and nursing will be coming up uh, this year, a big focus of the year. Uh, so we're going to be uh, doing a lot of initiatives around um, sort of proactive collaborative problem solving um, so that we can have a, a collegial relationship. And uh, one of the ways in which we will uh, sort of monitor how we're performing there is uh, the number of uh, grievances um, and sort of trending over time and hopefully in the, in the right direction. So we'll set some goals around that. Uh, you heard us talk about uh, some of the work that we were looking to do around um, uh, a just culture. And one element of just culture is uh, creating um, uh, uh, what we call discipline without uh, punishment. Uh, and, and when we do that, we also want to make sure that the corollary around accountability is, is uh, established. And so we're going to be looking to set what we would call our uh, uh, zero tolerance actions. So these are things that you know, irrespective of who you are in the organization, you're doing these. This is unacceptable. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't uh, uh, suffer that in this organization. It's not a part of our culture. Uh, and implementing the other standards and conducts or uh, uh, standards of conduct that go along with that, and everybody being held to those standards. Uh, and then the third one, doing a talent assessment across our leadership. So uh, supervisors on up through executive leadership, uh, looking at. Um, uh, high, high performing individuals, uh, individuals who are performing uh, at acceptable levels and people who have opportunity and then using that sort of assessment to drive uh, uh, opportunities for growth in the organization as well as opportunities for development in the organization. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, on a lesser degree, opportunity to help uh, get people in the right places if, if, they, if we find that their skills don't match the role that so we'll be looking at those as a system-wide set of targets for the entire leadership to be focused on. The ELT will be looking at these on a, uh, a uh, very consistent basis, and we'll be sharing them with the board on a monthly basis or whatever period frequency you, you'd be interested. The last two uh, rows here are for executive-specific goals. So as I mentioned, the pop health top three may be here or maybe you know, one of those in three different degrees. Uh, the same thing for ambulatory, same thing for acute, post-acute, and so forth. Uh, these will serve as the basis of what we currently have, which is a merit-based incentive plan, roughly 3%. This is because people are non-represented, and it's an opportunity to get some form of uh, uh, um, uh, sort of incentive compensation or at-risk compensation for, uh, for performance above and beyond expectation. Uh, this could also, as I, uh, I mentioned to the board, we'll be bringing uh, later this month uh, for your consideration a 
true at-risk compensation plan, and this could serve as a basis for that. So we will create um, uh, and fill this in with uh, reach goals and uh, uh, you know, baseline performance and reach goals that go from there and talk about what the plan may be uh, that we would support or that we would implement uh, should the board endorse it. Okay. Uh, so I mentioned the parking. So before you go on, when, yes. when, when do you intend to bring a final... A final, final version of this? Yes. And uh, uh, because I know you've listed the SMART goals. When, when is that coming? Because it's not written in SMART goals uh, format. And This will come and at the end of this month as well. The end of this month. Right. We're going we're gonna to fix this over the... It'll, it'll take us about a week and a half to do probably. And so our goal is to... To button it up and okay. uh, bring it to and, you. and then relative to the performance dashboards, is the board going to have opportunity to say eight percent is too low, or or you've already done uh, you've done septic already? We've, we're not interested in having you study that. It should be something else. Absolutely. Uh, okay. You know. And that comes when? Uh, <laughs> I have questions at the end. Uh, uh, so it, can be today. Uh, it can be today, but it could also be um, um, when we come back at the end of the month as well. Because well, you're just getting this Well, today. since you only have five minutes, I suspect it's going to have to come at the end of the oh, month. Oh, thank you. Uh, actually, I'm getting close to the end, so that, that's perfect. Uh, so that, that will work then. We can do the end of the month or, or offline as well, obviously. Uh, this is just representing the parking lot. I talked about that. Uh, this, uh, you know how that's going to work. This is a reminder of the annual strategic and financial planning uh, cycle. So just to uh, refresh you this year, we are behind schedule because uh, we, you know, brought the plan to you in July. We've been working on kind of how to structure the organization and then work on these specific goals. Uh, but this will be the routine that we want to create. So if you will, uh, if I could point you to Q3, um, so beginning in January, we're effectively going to be kicking off this cycle again for 16 or for 17 to 18. So we're going to start looking at financial targets, looking at the performance uh, for the first six months of this year, and trying to figure out um, uh, what sort of you know what's our financial reality as an organization, and then uh, also knowing what we've locked in as our operational uh, goals for this year and what's in our parking lot. Then we'll use that to uh, start to um, plan then uh, some of the. Uh, the operational goals that we'll have in this subsequent year. Uh, we'll bring that forward to you moving forward in April, May, June uh, in a retreat that's designed around you setting the targets for the budget and then us presenting a budget to you by the end of June. Um, um, you having a retreat, we have a retreat. We'll talk about these in uh, greater detail or do deeper dives uh, uh, to your degree of interest in there. And then we go into the Q1 of implementing, uh, go through the second uh, quarter, and then we start it all over again. So. That's what the cycle is going to effectively look like for the next three years or so, and we can certainly tweak this as opportunities uh, for improvement uh, present themselves. Okay, and then this is it. Uh, so I end with these questions for you, and these are just a few questions of primate, but certainly uh, anything else that you want to uh, ask or, or uh, want to take later, we can, we can do that as well. Okay, board, any questions that you want to present? Want to digest this information and come back? Uh, how would you send like over to email? Absolutely, yeah. So we'll we'll put it. We'll load, uh, if we haven't loaded on board effects yet, we'll do that today, or we'll do that and, and uh, uh, get it to you. Would you prefer we email it to you as well? A few. Either way. Okay. Either way. We'll load it into board effects in, and then uh, obviously any questions you have, uh, I'm happy to answer them or give you a call and we can talk any of that. So. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Board. Thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to 
So the things I brought up with Alameda Hospital, if there's anything in here that isn't, that has changed, you know, just take it off the dashboard, take it off of the, um, out of the, the bowl. Uh, yeah, um, okay, we can do that. I think where you saw the, um, the, uh, it wasn't, a, it was, it was, yeah, it, it was at the broader, bowl. it was up here, yeah, so it was a right. broader strategy, yeah. But it was, a, it was, a, yeah, it wasn't in the post, but we didn't, it wasn't in the post-acute, um, deliverables, after. Right, no, it was, it was, it was, uh, wait, it was, it was, Although the acute deliverable did have the transition, like it was um, in one of these. I've seen it. So if that's going to stay there, the to transition acute SBU explorer option of a transitional care unit in 4.1, if that's, I mean, exploring an option is one thing. I want to be a little more specific, not just okay. for that provision, but everything else. You know, if, there, if there is a goal in here, let's. That's a fair point. Let's make sure it's still relevant. More measurable and more. Yeah, we need timelines, and I mean, so I, I just assumed that you would put it in a, in, in a smart a, format. In a smart format. So, okay. We're gonna work. Okay. That those we just have sort of categories. That, that's what I assumed, and you said at the very beginning that you would be you would be putting this together. So. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your feedback. Very helpful. Okay. Um, well, that takes care of our business for today, except. The board will need to go into a uh, closed session to talk about public employee performance evaluation and conference with labor negotiator. Um, but uh, we can step out and, um, we'll go right. and go there. Uh, and the business portion of the meeting, I would like to adjourn. I know we have to report back out, but I would just like to adjourn in, uh, in closing and in the hope that things that are broken will soon be mended. Thank you. The board is returned um, from closed session at 7.05. Um, um, we took action relative to collective bargaining, gave authority um, to negotiate on our behalf, and no other action was taken. The meeting is adjourned.